Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Berean Bible Church podcast. All right, who here loves a good dad joke? Any dad joke aficionados in the house? If April showers bring May flowers, then what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. Come on. Come on. That's pretty good, right? All right, all right, dad jokes aside, let's have, some, let's have some real fun. I want you to turn to your neighbor, go ahead and turn to your neighbor and look deep into their eyes, all right? Come on, humor me here, humor me. Look deep into your neighbor's eyes and repeat after me. I'll bet I have bigger muscles than you. All right, now show them, come on, let's do some flexing on Father's Day, come on. Let me see the guy. Oh, wow. Ooh. Oh, man. We got some guts. Where, where do we got? We got some biceps over here? That, yes. Yes. Okay. So um, lately, I've been noticing that I just feel really, really weak, especially after this COVID season, like really out of shape. I don't know if you're like me. Some of you definitely are not like me because I just saw you flex, and um, that's great for you. Not so true for me. Uh, lately, I've just been noticing that my muscles are super weak, my brain is super weak, my memory is very weak, and that bothers me because I'm an American, right? And strength is the American way. We really are obsessed with strength in this country, aren't we? We want a strong military. We want strong leaders. We want a strong economy, we want strong athletes, we want strong feelings, and a strong faith. But over the past two years, we're recognizing the depth of our weaknesses, and lots of us are struggling with our faith. We're doubting God. We're not really sure if he's coming through for us. We're fearing the future, and if we're honest, most of us are just crazy discontent with how he's running the world and leading our lives right now. And honestly, that's been my story the past few months. My faith has been very, very weak lately, but in God's sovereignty, he prompted my friend Justin to ask me here to preach on a very specific story of Jesus that has been working on my heart and my life, and I just want to share with you some of the stuff that God's been doing in my own heart and life through this story, but the biggest uh, idea that I've been focusing on as I've learned more about it over the past couple weeks is that weak faith doesn't wreck God's grace. Can you say that with me? Weak faith doesn't wreck God's grace. So whether you're joining us online, uh, to all the other campuses, thanks for joining in here. We are so glad to have you with us digitally. Um, if you're just kicking the tires of faith, maybe you're someone who's exploring Christianity, we're glad that you're here. Or maybe you've been a, a follower of Jesus for a really long time. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this message is for you and this message is for me. So let's turn in our Bibles or turn our Bibles on to John chapter 4. Go ahead and turn Turn there with me, and uh, you can grab that pew Bible, by the way, and uh, feel free to take it. I love going to other churches and telling people to just steal their stuff. It's, it's fun. It's great. So take that Bible, turn to page 855. We're going to be on page 855, and uh, feel free to take that with you. If you uh, don't have an app on your phone, I would recommend the version app. It's free. 
It's an amazing resource for you. John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 43 and go down to 52, and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll dive right in. At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee, and he himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything that he did there. And as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? But the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Now, while the man was on his way home, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well, and he asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus, and this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you for leading and guiding John to write this down for us. Thank you that we can learn just as much today in 2022 from this story as the original recipients of this gospel. And I pray that you would help us to become more like your son Jesus because of it. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So last week, you dove into one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well and tons of her friends and family believed in Jesus after she spread the good news about him all around the town of Sychar. And by the way, Sychar was the last place that you would expect revival to break out. Sounds a lot like Northeast America or even Central New York, if you ask me. Now, in verses 43 to 45, we see Jesus spent two days in Sychar with the Samaritans, and then he continued north to his hometown of Galilee, specifically Cana, which was about 50 miles from Sychar. Let's think about that. 50 miles. And remember, Jesus couldn't call an Uber. He couldn't. This was a long trek. And Cana is the town where Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. It was his first public miracle, first public sign of his divine authority and power. And we're going to talk about the significance of that at the end of the message. But right now, just know that the Apostle John, who is the best friend of Jesus, wrote this detailed account of Jesus' life and ministry, and he wants his readers to see that connection, all right? But we're going we're gonna to get to that, so stay with me there. But notice, John is highlighting the good news of Jesus transforming many diverse lives from different backgrounds, including a respected Jewish teacher named Nicodemus in chapter 3, an outcast Samaritan woman in chapter 4, and now in verse 46, we meet an unnamed royal official. So, Let's get some more background on this guy. Who is this guy, you may ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. You guys asked the best questions here at Berean. So the Greek word here for government official, it means literally little king. 
That's what it means, little king. And he most likely served under Herod Antipas, one of the three sons of Herod the Great, who was the ruler over the region of Galilee at that time. Uh, So if you think of Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, not followers of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination, okay? But this man was a powerful man. This little king was a busy man. And this little king was a wealthy man. We see in verse 51 that he had servants, plural, So in that ancient society, he was very successful by a lot of different standards, but not, but he wasn't just powerful, busy, wealthy, or successful as the world may call success, but he was also a desperate man. Notice here that he was a very desperate man. You know, this may be a morning where you're coming in to church, wherever you are, whether you're watching online, you're here in this room, and maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're not showing it to other people around you. Maybe you're doing a good job of just keeping it inside, but maybe, just maybe, this is a morning where we have some desperate men in the room and there's stuff going on at our jobs, with our families, in our private lives, in our heads, in our minds. And maybe this story is exactly what we need to hear from the Lord. We can tell this man was desperate because he lived in Capernaum, and that's about 20 miles away from Cana. So this dude traveled a really long way to find Jesus. And when he arrives, he does something that he's probably never done before in his life. Again, this guy is busy, powerful, and wealthy. And what does he do? He begs. It's probably the first time in his entire life he has begged for anything. Out of desperation, he's finding a Jewish rabbi that he heard can do miracles because he's probably out of all other options. And you know, there is nothing that makes you more desperate than when your kids are sick. Isn't that right? How many parents do we have in the room? We got some parents? Oh yeah, we know. There is nothing that makes us more desperate than when our kids are sick. And that is something that my wife, Joy, and I are intimately familiar with. Uh, This picture here that'll come up on the screen is a picture of my son, Landon. And uh, our son, Landon, was born missing an entire chamber of his heart. We found out halfway through the pregnancy that he was going to need three open heart surgeries before the age of three. Now, the great news with our son, Landon, is that he's turning seven next month. Uh, If you saw Landon today, he would, yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, if you saw him today and you asked him, how old are you? He would say, I'm six, but I'm turning seven in three weeks. <laughs> uh, or a little bit longer. He would, he, he's very excited about turning seven. But you know, this whole journey with Landon, I mean, he flatlined on us twice between his first surgery and his second surgery. And as I've been studying this passage and I've been thinking and praying about delivering it to you, I mean, man, it, it hit home in a big, big way. I mean, if, if you didn't know this, when, when you're in a, a children's hospital, especially in these types of situations where a flat line happens or a, a coding, they don't let you back there. So this happened twice with me and my wife where we get a phone call, your son is very close to death, and they don't let you back there which in the medical profession is a very good decision because they need to deal with that. And as a parent, though, it's excruciating because at least for the first flatline, we waited 
at least an hour, if not more. And that hour felt like a day. And just that numbness and that exasperation and that desperation of, is my son going to make it? I know what it's like to be in this man's sandals, so to speak. Except the difference is we had access to extremely advanced medical care at the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. This guy, he didn't have access to that. So, of course, he's, he's wanting to see a miracle. I mean, wouldn't you? If you're a desperate parent in this ancient society, you need a miracle And he's doing all he can to find that miracle. But notice Jesus' response. Look at the text with me. Verse 48. Look at at this verse. This, This seems really rude of Jesus. Let's be honest. Read this with me. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? That is not the first thing I'd expect Jesus to say. I don't know about you, but I'd expect Jesus to say, Well, of course How could I not heal your son? I mean, this is why I came to earth. Oh, and side note, I am really impressed that you traveled 20 miles. Way to go, dad. You are being an excellent father. I will take care of your son's illness right away. I mean, isn't that what you'd expect Jesus to say? That's what I would think, but no, that's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus is basically lamenting that this man's faith is very weak. You know, God knows our hearts better than we even do, and he's lamenting this man's weak faith, which is representative of the weak faith of that whole Galilean region. And you know, it's interesting when you study the Bible, sometimes things just don't make sense. And, And you know, if you're here or you're watching online and you read the Bible and you go, man, it just doesn't always make sense. You know what? I'm in the same boat with you. Like, that's okay. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, and that's why we have to dive in deeper. And one of the things you need to understand is Jesus did not only respond in this way with this man. Do not think for a moment that Jesus has any lack of love for this little king. He doesn't. And here's why I can say that. Because Jesus responded almost in the exact same way with his very own disciples. Do you think Jesus loved his disciples? Oh, yes, very much. But in Matthew 8, 25 to 26, uh, there's a big storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples go, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus replied to them, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He did the same thing with his own disciples. See, he knew that his disciples had very weak faith, too. They ran scared when he was crucified. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Thomas had to see and touch Jesus' physical body to believe that he came back to life. And even right before Christ's ascension back to heaven and giving them the Great Commission, it says, these are three of the most powerful words in all of Scripture, but some doubted. I don't know about you, but those are three of the most comforting words in Scripture to me because these dudes lived life with Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus. He's about ready to go to the Father, give them the Great Commission, and what are they doing? They're wrestling with doubt just like you and I do. I don't know about you, but that's very comforting for someone who struggles like I do. And these are the men who turned the world upside down, gang. These were the men who would all, except John, die courageous martyrs' deaths for Jesus. So you might be wondering, how did these men with such weak faith 
turn into strong warriors for Christ? How do they establish a strong church that is still kicking Satan in the face, right? All around the world. How did they do that? Because weak faith doesn't wreck God's grace. That is good news. Say that again with me. Weak faith doesn't wreck God's grace. You see, Brian, Jesus isn't being rude here. He's being real. Jesus isn't condemning this man. He's highlighting how great his grace is. You see, so many of us, we, we, we don't want to follow Jesus unless we get what we came for. And when we don't, we jet. You know, just being honest and transparent with you this morning, I had someone online, so Landon's story was very public and, and, and his story went online like crazy. And someone asked me, they said, she said, I, I don't mean to be rude, but what if Landon didn't make it? Would you still follow Jesus if Landon had died? And she meant that very sincerely. And here's what I told her. I wrote her back and I said, you know, I hope so. I can't say for, for sure because he hasn't died, but I really hope that God's grace would carry me if my faith isn't strong, if Landon doesn't make it or dies at a young age. Because you see, it's not about the strength of our faith. It's about where we place our faith. Because our faith is only as strong as the object on which we place it. And that's exactly what this royal official, this little king learned. And that's exactly what God wants you and me to know today because maybe you're coming in here to this morning or this Father's Day and you're going, I just don't have what it takes. Well, you know what? Neither did this little king, neither did the disciples because ultimately, gang, it's not about us. It's about a great Savior who has given us more grace and more love than we could ever imagine. But what I love about this little king, all right, check this out. Look at the text here with me. What I love about him is that even though Jesus' response probably unnerved him, I mean, it would unnerve me, right? Like I would be a little bit like, whoa, hold on, time out. What's going on here? He just keeps going. Look at verse 49. He pleads with Jesus, Lord, please, please come now before my little boy dies. And Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And don't miss this. The man believed what Jesus said and started home. The man believed what Jesus said and started home. In other translations, verse 50 says, he took Jesus at his word and departed. All right, gang, lean in here. Look up at me. This is, this is huge. Jesus can do more with our weak faith in him than we could ever do with strong faith in ourselves. Jesus can do more with our weak faith in him than we could ever do with strong faith in ourselves. And Satan is still connivingly whispering, deceitfully whispering the lie that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say, is it written? And this is why we need to know our Bibles. One of the reasons that Berean wants to give away Bibles, one of the reasons that we always, every week, I know you do that here at Berean, we do that at Grace Christian Fellowship in Cortland. Every week we come to God's Word and we need to be in God's Word every single day so that we will know what God has promised and what God hasn't promised. Please, 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 all right? This is not in my notes, but this is, this is for free, all right? Don't, 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 don't. 
Take your theological cues from social media memes. Please, there is really bad stuff out there that is lying to you. Read God's word, know God's word, and test everything by God's word. And don't just take whatever comes at you, whether it's social media or other conversations or whatever. And ask your pastors, all right? Don't go to Google first. Ask your pastors. Are there great resources on the internet? Yes. But ask your pastors where to find the good resources that actually line up with what scripture says. We need to know what God has promised and what he hasn't. So, so God has never promised us that this side of heaven would be pain-free. In fact, he said just the opposite. In this life, you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God has promised us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He has promised us that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He has promised that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? And he has promised that he is preparing a place that is wildly better than we could ever hope or dream. And that's something we remind our son Landon of constantly. No matter how much life God gives him, what is waiting for him and what is waiting for me and what is waiting for all of us who are in Christ is so much better than we could possibly imagine. And God has promised that he will work all things together, keyword together, for his glory and our good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, for some of us, we're reading about this miracle in scripture and we're going, God, why, why haven't you done that for me? Why haven't you answered my prayers that I've been praying for years and years? Like, you haven't come through for me in this way. And here's the deal. This miracle here, it isn't normative for everyone because it's a miracle. By definition, miracles aren't normative. They're special. I remember this old church bus that we used to use at our Christian high school in Cleveland, Ohio. So I grew up in Ohio. Go Bucks. You know, it's, it's really the Ohio State University. Okay, just so you all know that. Okay. I was under one of those blankets at a baseball game in mid-June, by the way. What is up with that in central New York? I'm under a blanket in cold weather in mid-June, and I had the Ohio State Buckeye blanket, and I got a lot of grief for that. So I'm learning that that's, uh, that's a problem. But this church that uh, let us use their bus was really into signs and wonders. And the, on, the, on the side of the bus, it said, expect a miracle. All caps, big, bold letters, expect a miracle. And the only problem was this bus just kept breaking down every time we would use it. No lie. This is 100% true. You can ask anyone in my school back in the day. So as we're on the side of the road, literally thousands of people would drive past this bus and say, they're going to need one. <laughs> now, does God still do miracles today? Absolutely. If anyone tells you he doesn't, then they're worshiping the wrong God because God does do miracles today. Salvation itself is a miracle. Does God heal today and divinely intervene on behalf of his children? Yes. But our faith should never be more focused on the results that we want than our Savior that we love. John didn't give us this story so that we could demand things from God where we basically try to become God ourselves. But again, you might be saying, well, why doesn't God come through for me the way that I've asked him to? There's a, a quote that's really helped me with that, and, and I'll, I'll share it with you. Hopefully it's helpful. Tim Keller is uh, an amazing pastor in, in New York City, and he's battling right now stage four pancreatic cancer, so he's going through his own suffering in a deep, deep way. 
And he says, God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we know everything he knows. Let me say that again. God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. And in this case, not in all cases, but for this man, Jesus said that his son would be healed, and his, this man demonstrated his faith, his belief in Jesus by taking action, and that action was to head home. Look at verse 51 with me. Look at it here. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon, one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Can you imagine being there in that moment? Being this kid's mom, being the kid himself? Can you imagine the servants? I mean, everyone there, it's like they're just they're just hoping. And maybe they aren't praying, but maybe they're praying without knowing they're praying. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden... He's just healed. He's just good. He stands up. He walks. He's like, I don't know, but I'm good to go. Verse 53, the father realized that was the very time that Jesus told him, your son will live, and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. Now, this royal official hadn't seen the miracle yet, but notice, it says right there in the text, he took Jesus at his word. He headed home in faith, and God healed his son at the exact moment that he spoke. And notice, we, we have to observe the repercussions of this man's weak faith. It started out very weak, but by God's grace in the life of his son, that weak faith eventually led to the salvation of his entire household, not just physical healing for his son alone, but eternal salvation for everyone in that house. And the question for you and for me is, are we living like that? Are we living out a faith where other people are taking notice and actually coming to faith because of our faith, no matter how strong or weak it might be? Now, you might say, oh, Dan, come on. That's easy for this guy. This man and this family, they saw a miracle right in front of them. True. God does work in a lot of different ways, but here's what I want to challenge us with. Sometimes the most powerful testimony, the most effective witness for Jesus is when we keep trusting God even when we don't get what we want. And if you want a real-life example of this, I can't think of a better one than Johnny Erickson Tata. This woman has prayed for her entire life, ever since she was, I believe, 16 or 17, that she would be freed from her wheelchair, and God has not granted that to her yet. But man, how many people have come to faith in Jesus because Johnny has chosen? And she's been honest about those moments where she's had very weak faith, where she's wanted to leave the faith. She's been honest and transparent about that. But man, are we living like that? See, sometimes the most powerful testimony, the most effective witness is when we keep pursuing Jesus even when we don't get what we want. And some of us have those opportunities right around us and we're missing those opportunities. We're missing out. Now, some of you may be still far from God. Like maybe you have not crossed that line of faith yet and, and, and I want you to know today is your day. Today is your day to admit that you need Jesus, just like I need Jesus, just like we all need Jesus. The only rule at Grace Christian Fellowship, and I know the only rule here, is no perfect people allowed, right? That's because Jesus was perfect for us. Please don't leave today, or if you're watching at a different campus, do not leave without uh, pressing into that question of how do I begin 
a relationship with God through faith in what Jesus has accomplished for me. Now, some of us are wrestling with weak faith, and we need to start taking God at his word by saying, God, I do believe, but help my unbelief, just like another father did with a a demon-possessed son. Some of us are longtime believers who have either seen God do amazing miracles in our lives, or maybe God has said no or not yet to our prayers. But wherever we're at, How are we pointing others to the hope that we have in Jesus like this little king did with his household, whether we get what we want or not? You know, this is very personal to me because honestly, with Landon's uh, condition, there are no guarantees on how long he will be able to live. He's living with half a heart, and so far his prognosis is good. Uh, Yesterday he got three hits in the Crown City Little League. He's playing baseball, he's playing soccer, he's playing golf, which is the best sport. We all know that. It's way better than foot golf, right, Justin? Yeah. But the thing is for us, for, for my wife and I, as we wrestle with this whole journey for Landon and with Landon, Uh, The truth of the future and length of life is very uncertain for him. But the truth is, that's true for every single one of us, no matter what stage of life we're at. Even though we don't know what the future holds, we know who holds the future. See, if you're like me, I'm looking at where our nation is going, I'm looking at the future, and it it freaks me out. Anyone else there with me? Sometimes my faith gets a little weak because I'm like, God, what is happening but the good news is that the future belongs to King Jesus. And I, I am so excited. I've been excited about this whole message, but I'm most excited about this extra bonus feature that I'm going to show you here. All right, you ready? You get an extra bonus feature. How many of you remember DVDs, by the way? Do any of you remember those things? Okay, yeah. See, I used to think VHSs were like old school, but like those are, those are out of sight, out of mind. Now it's like DVDs, like whoo, old school. Okay, so I was the weird one with DVDs where when we would get a DVD from the library, I would actually watch the bonus features before I watched the actual movie. I was just weird like that. Anyone else? Yeah, none of you. Okay, yeah, well, I'm the only one then. Check this out. Verse 54, this is so cool. Verse verse 54, this is the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Gang, part of the amazing thing of studying scripture is we will find some of the coolest things in the most overlooked places. Remember how John ties this miracle, a messianic sign with the wedding uh, at Cana where Jesus turned water into wine? Remember that? Well, back in the day, there was a man named Moses who was called to give signs to an evil king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, who had enslaved and abused God's people for far too long. And the first sign that Moses did was turn water into blood, symbolizing death. The first sign that Jesus did was turn water into wine, symbolizing life and celebration. How cool is that? The final sign of Moses, oh, it gets better. Check this out. The final sign of Moses was actually the death of the firstborn child of Pharaoh who would only continue the abuse of God's people if he rose to power. The second sign of Jesus was giving life to the child of this little king who served under Herod Antipas. And earlier in John's gospel, in John 1.17, he writes, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
You see, all the law could do was show us how much we need a savior. All the law could do was bring death, but Jesus is way better at saving than we are at sinning. Isn't that good news? Jesus fulfilled the law for you and for me and for this royal official, this little king, his entire household and the entire world. So real quick, turn over to Hebrews chapter three with me. Hebrews chapter three, it's on page 966 in your pew Bibles. Page 966. This is really powerful stuff. Hebrews 3, 3 through 6. Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly a, uh, faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths that God would later reveal, but Christ as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. At the end of John's gospel, he says, these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But weak faith doesn't wreck God's grace. Berean, Jesus is our hope. Not ourselves, not our politicians, not even our pastors, not our money, not our jobs, not our families, not even the strength of our faith. King Jesus alone is our hope. He's my hope. He is your hope. He's the hope for America. He's the hope for central New York. And so, so, our calling, our honor, our privilege is to let a watching world know that living for Jesus is worth it. I am incredibly honored, so honored, to keep serving him along with you right here, right now in central New York. It, it, is, it is a huge honor and privilege that we get to do it as the body of Christ, that we get to go on this journey to show others that even though our faith may be weak, God's grace is greater. And we are in this together. We are in this together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the, the powerful story that we have just looked at, that we have just taken into our hearts and our minds. And God, I pray that it would motivate us to take action in our jobs, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our Monday through Saturday. God, I pray that we would leave here with the motivation and the courage and the perseverance that we need to let a watching world know that living for you is worth it. And I pray this in your name. Amen.